Today, we're going to be talking about a book that is hot off the press. It's called Bathing with God. It's by Glenn Oslin. And it's definitely one of the most interesting and enjoyable books I've read this year. Interesting and enjoyable books I've read this year. But how do you describe a book like this? It all takes place in a bathtub. <laughs> That's true. What if a voice started talking to you while you were all alone, soaking in a nice, warm bath? What if that voice told you that everything is a fiction? And that fictions are the single most important innovation in the history of humanity? What if you debated and argued with this voice until suddenly you found yourself overflowing with love, gratitude, and a genuine curiosity about everything in existence? That is what happened to the narrator once he finally understood what it means to be constantly, inescapably bathing with God. So, you have presented. You just gave the... me chills, man. Oh, yeah. You're a great Thank writer, you. man. Wow, jeez. <laughs> no, truly. This is this is prose worth reading. Read Thank it you. for the wit, for the for the logic, for the fun. Uh, it's it's great reading. Great reading. Great reading. Great reading. Welcome back to Infants on Thrones. I'm Glenn Osland, and this is episode 678, Bathing with God, an interview with me, Glenn Osland, author of <laughs> Bathing with God. I wrote a book, and I published it last week, and I've got a request for all of you listeners of Infants on Thrones who are still listening after all these years. Go to Amazon.com and buy a copy for me, please. Would you do that? I'd really like to be able to say, hi, I'm Glenn Oslin, best-selling author of Bathing with God, and you can help me make that happen. So today you're going to listen to an interview that was done last week by Stephen Carter. Uh, it was a Sunstone interview. It was live on Facebook. I'll share the uh, video of it on the Infants on Thrones Facebook page, so if any of you want to watch it and see me squirm in my seat as Stephen nails me down on these questions, you can watch it. Otherwise, I'm posting the audio here. You know, with some kind of Infants on Thrones edits and insertions here and there. So, uh, yeah, I've written this book, Bathing with God. What's it about? You're going to find out very shortly. Thank you again for listening to Infants on Thrones. And please, go buy a copy of Bathing with God. <laughs> this is Infants on Thrones. The philosophies of men mingled with humans. We are the core. Look for the good in everything Look for the people who will set your soul free It always seems impossible until it's done Look for the good in everyone Today, we're going to be talking about a book that is hot off the press. It's actually been out for less than a week. 
It's called Bathing with God. It's by Glenn Oslin, that handsome man to my left or right, depending on what your computer did. And it's definitely one of the most interesting and enjoyable books I've read this year. I read it more than once. (laughs) (laughs) But how do you describe a book like this? That's what I kept thinking. Well, uh, it all takes place in a bathtub. (laughs) That's true. So you're... I don't know if anybody's hooked yet. <laughs> uh, how, how, how about this? The book is filed under visionary and mystical fiction. I don't know if I got anybody else with that. Okay, how about this? Um, it's a dialogue. Uh, it's between the bather and his imagination, who may or may not be God, AKA the universe. And it's a lot like Sophie's World, if you've read that in like high school philosophy class or something or Daniel Quinn's Ishmael series, or dare we say it, Plato's Republic. (laughs) I don't think people are getting it quite yet. So tell you what, I'll just read the book's blurb. What if a voice started talking to you while you were all alone, soaking in a nice warm bath? What if that voice told you that everything is a fiction? and that fictions are the single most important innovation in the history of humanity. What if you debated and argued with this voice until suddenly you found yourself overflowing with love, gratitude, and a genuine curiosity about everything in existence? That is what happened to the narrator once he finally understood what it means to be constantly, inescapably bathing with God. So the author, Glenn Oslin, was kind enough to make Home-Centered Sunstone one of his first stops on his worldwide book tour, and we're going to be diving into it today. <laughs> but first, Glenn, introduce yourself to us. Hi, I'm, I'm uh, Glenn Oslin. I don't know, people, people in Sunstone might know me from Infants on Thrones. I've been doing that podcast for eight years. I was on Mormon Expression for a year and a half before then, so I've, I've been part of the Mormon, ex-Mormon podcasting world for a while, but feeling kind of unplugged from it for the last couple of years, actually, if I'm being honest. Um, so that's, uh, that's who I am. All right, books. So let's just dive into that. We'll probably get into more about you as, as we go into it. So it argues that everything is a fiction. And that one concept serves as the foundation for the entire book. And it's going to be the thing that we're going to be bumping up against over and over as we're talking here. So would you be willing to give us a quick crash course on what you mean by everything is a fiction? A quick crash course. That's a really challenging uh, question, Stephen. So I've been struggling with this issue of things being a fiction um, really probably since 1990 or 95. Um, I was an undergraduate at BYU and I took a folklore class um, from Burt Wilson. Rest in peace. Oh yeah. He was awesome. I yeah. loved him. He was awesome. And um, he, he was telling a story. He was talking about personal narratives as an example of a folklore. And he was telling a story about when he was at university or Utah State University giving a lecture about personal narratives and his mom was in the audience and he used one of, or a couple of her personal narratives as example. And he talked about these stories as being fictions and like very important fictions that 
color our lives, it forms our identity and, you know, all these things. And then she came up to him afterwards. She's like, why did you call those fictions that those are stories? Those are things that actually happened to me. That's not a fiction. And so then he had to explain to her what he meant by fiction, how some of the details, you know, are filtered through her, <laughs> you know, like she selects some things and she omits other things basically. And she's constructing a story because she wants to make a certain point. And, you know, there's all of these elements that go into creating what becomes a fiction. And so that, that was a, a mind-blowing idea to me as an undergraduate student. And, and then I got interested in folklore. I, I, I went to Indiana University. I got a master's degree and I was in a PhD program. And so the, this idea of fictions, whether it's a folktale or a myth or it's a personal narrative or these stories that we tell ourselves, it, it almost became like mother's milk to me. So, so when, when I started uh, podcasting and I was talking with some of the other panelists on Infants on Thrones, we were reviewing the book Sapiens, we were talking about other things. And I, I brought up this thing about fictions again. And it just like, like, what the hell are you talking about? Oh, I'm sorry. Can I say hell on? <laughs> what the heck are you talking about? On uh, uh, Everything is a, a fiction. And um, so then I, I just kept having these discussions back and forth, most, mostly with Tom Perry and, you know, some of the other guys and, and that, um, uh, yeah, it, that, that came out as I was writing this book as to like, why, why is it important to me that everything is a fiction? I, I think recognizing that the things that I believe, the things that I think are true based on even the best scientific evidence, it only tells a part of the story. It can be updated with new data at another time. If, if you imagine, like I was trying to do with this book, I was trying to imagine what would a omnipotent, omniscient God or a voice of God be thinking or saying, you know, from, from that perspective, if you're looking at any kind of human story, it's just a small fraction of everything that exists. It, like, I don't know a better, a better word for it than fiction. And if, if everybody looks at their stories as fictions, my story's a fiction, your story's a fiction, it kind of levels the playing field and, and gets away from some of that that judgment and, you know, sense of superiority and uh, things like that, that are, are also things that I've been struggling with at different times in my life and just wanting to eschew, just wanting to get away from. So, so framing things as fictions helps level the playing field uh, for me and um, not, not privileging my own fiction over other people's fictions. D does that uh, work as a crash course definition for fictions? What, what more would you like me to say on that, Stephen? Um, we're going to be talking more about that as we go along because I think a lot of people feel like um, the weight of fiction is pretty heavy mm. and that, and we need to talk more about that. But it does remind me of when I was uh, getting, af after I finished my degree in narrative studies, and, uh, and, and after that, I like to say that everything was a story. Yeah which essentially got the same reaction that your bather had when yeah. Quad tells him <laughs> to all the people that I pitched that idea to. I said, no, everything is a story. Right. But your framing of the concept is particularly interesting to, to me because it emphasizes sort of the constructed nature of the story. Yeah, I'm glad we you used that word. It's thing. <laughs> yeah. So, so whereas like someone could, I think comfortably say to me something like, 
Well, my story is true because it says exactly what reality is. Yeah. The same person would have a much harder time saying, well, my fiction is true. Yeah, because I think, I think we have, like, like we tend to think, fact or fiction like this really black and white thing mm -hmm. so if i'm calling something a fiction then that means i'm saying that it's not true but that's not what i mean by a fiction i, I mean it's selecting certain details omitting others um and constructing it so i think you, you use that word like a construction or a fabrication mm -hmm. um you know and and there's parts of it that are accurate there's probably parts of it that are inaccurate there's going to be things that we don't know that could come in and change what we do know, you know, so all of the stuff that makes it a, a, a fiction, but, but that doesn't mean that I think that it's not true or that it's not real or that it's not that valuable. That it's not true. That doesn't mean that I think it's not true. It's not real. To truly engage with the world, you have to use a variety of stories. We're fundamentally storytellers. That's what human beings are. Now there's the reductionist story that physicists are well equipped to talk about with particles and laws of physics. On top of that, you've got the chemist story, the complex molecules, you've got the biologist story that begins to talk about cells and life. You've got the psychological story, the neurophysiological story that brings a mind and consciousness. And within that, you then have all of the activities that conscious beings undertake, which includes religion and includes telling other kinds of stories and includes creative expression. You need them all. And to sort of say that the scientific account is the only account by which you're ever going to gain true qualities of the world is a very, in my view, limited description of what truth is. There is objective truth in the world that we can measure, that we can describe with equations of so forth, but there's also internal truth, spiritual truth that you get to by self-examination. It's real in the sense that you're understanding how you respond to the world. And that is something which is deeply personal, but utterly real. And whether it's through psychedelics, whether it's through ayahuasca, whether it's through a spiritual journey, whether it's through religion, regardless, all of this adds color to the story of what it means what to be a human being. What it means to be a human being. That doesn't mean that I think that it's not true or that it's not real or that it's not valuable. Um, and, and so I spent a lot of time with that. I probably yeah. three or four different chapters, you know, like kind of hammering those points uh, early on. And just to let those who haven't read it yet know, which is probably everybody, yeah. it's really interesting to follow this train of logic oh, because I you. was in the bathers point point of view yeah. for a while i was saying but what about this but what about this and quad takes care of all of it yeah <laughs> <laughs> however does he <laughs> <laughs> it's a he yeah a right baby. yeah yeah <laughs> so um the one thing that kept on coming up in my mind as we were going through this everything is a fiction thing yeah. i just kept having flashbacks to now yeah um where um the, the, the biggest thing that we're talking about in the political sphere right now is, mm. wait a minute, that's false information or that's fake a completely yeah, fake, yeah. fake news. There are all these things where we're saying, are we not, do we not all have the same frame of reference here? How do we work together as a society if we don't all have the same frame of reference? Yeah. What happens if people are saying, everything's a fiction, huh? 
here we go. Yeah. And so what I'm wondering is, are we stepping in a great big cow pie right here, right now, saying that everything is a fiction in this political climate? Are, are we just contributing to uh, chaos or is there some unifying element? I don't know. If, 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 this, if this little book that I wrote becomes something that contributes to chaos, I think I'd, do, I think I'd dance a jig. Stephen, if, if, if like enough people read it and, and care enough about it that it makes that kind of an impact, but I, I, I don't, I, I don't really know what to say. If it, to, to me, like I, I was really influenced by Jonathan Haidt's book, The Righteous Mind. I, I read it several years ago, and I think the subtitle is why good people are divided by politics and religion. I think that's the subtitle for The mm -hmm. Righteous Mind, yeah. and you know, it's. To today's political climate, which I really, I've got to be honest with you, I've tried as hard as I can to unplug from um, because it... You take lots of baths, huh? I, I try to take lots of baths, yeah, just to kind of relax. Um, but th there's there's so much tribalism, uh, you know, there, there seems like people that get really upset when the fictions that they believe aren't fictions are called fictions. Mm -hmm. And, you know, so... If somebody comes up and goes, well, you're a fiction. Well, it's a fiction. Well, yeah, is that helpful? I don't know if that's helpful. It's probably not helpful. But if if everybody realized we've got to come together, we've got to figure this out. Let's take the, the pieces of your fiction that work, the pieces of, I don't know. I mean, <laughs> like to try to speculate on the political uh, landscape. I, I don't, I really don't know how to answer that question, Steve. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, gee, look at me. Yeah. Posing I, unanswerable I, I, questions. <laughs> Yeah, I, I wrote a book about unanswerable questions. So, yeah. Well, um, one thing that I actually think might be useful uh, to help everything as a fiction actually add clarity in, instead of confusion is, this is something I've been developing for uh, like the past few, few months, is to focus, instead of trying to focus on the possibility of a fiction's truth, mm. focus on a fiction's utility. Mm -hmm. So in other words, what does this fiction do? Yeah. Like, um, what do people who operate according to this fiction tend to produce? Uh, what kind of society do they tend to operate? Yeah. What sort of information do they tend to focus on or miss? Mm -hmm. So instead of heading anywhere near like, is this fiction truer than another fiction? You yeah. say, what does this fiction do? Yeah. And is this what we want to do? Do we really want to produce this? Yeah. Do we really want to live in this particular way? Do we want to miss out on this particular kind of information? And so for me, this uh, approach to everything is a fiction is actually a strong argument for cultivating diversity yeah. in a population. Yeah. Because then there's a synthesis that happens amongst the various fictions. And if we can move amongst them, we can see more, we can take in more data, yeah. we can see more meanings, and uh, it allows us to actually interact with a wider swath of reality because we see it through so many different fictions. Because that's what reality is. That's what reality that's is. What reality that's what reality is. is. That's what reality and in this process is one of the greatest remaining mysteries in science and philosophy. How does consciousness happen? Somehow, within each of our brains, the combined activity of many billions of neurons, each one, a tiny biological machine 
is generating a conscious experience, and not just any conscious experience, your conscious experience right here and right now. How does this happen? In the story I'm going to tell you, our conscious experiences of the world around us and of ourselves within it are kinds of controlled hallucinations that happen with, through, and because of our living bodies. Our own individual inner universe, our way of being conscious, is just one possible way of being conscious. And even human consciousness generally, it's just a tiny region in a vast space of possible consciousnesses. Our individual selves and worlds are unique to each of us, but they're all grounded in biological mechanisms shared with many other living creatures. So our experiences of the world around us and ourselves within it, well, they're kinds of controlled hallucinations that have been shaped. Over millions of years of evolution, to keep us alive in worlds full of danger and opportunity, we predict ourselves into existence. Now, think about this for a minute. If if hallucination is a kind of uncontrolled perception, then perception right here and right now is also a kind of hallucination, but a controlled hallucination in which the brain's predictions are being reined in by sensory information from the world. In fact, we're all hallucinating all the time, including right now. It's just that when we agree about our hallucinations, when we agree about our hallucinations, we call that reality. We call that reality, and、uh, it allows us to actually interact with a wider swath of reality because we see it through so many different. Fiction. Because that's what reality is. Re- re- reality is the the composite of all of these individual perspectives that are so like unique and subjectively personal. Like the the way I experience reality is different than the way that you experience reality, and everybody else. Because my my life has been different. My experience has been different. The way that I feel about things is different. It's it's all. So I I love that that celebrating diversity, celebrating everybody's unique.、Um, Perspective and influence, and trying to bring them together, based on that that utility. Like, what is it that you're trying to achieve? And and I I think, you know, you're making me think about what I wrote in ways that I didn't think about it as I was writing it. But but I do talk about recognizing that we are the authors of the fictions that we live, and so、mm-hmm. try to become an intentional author. Of the fiction, which I think fits very well with, with this utilitarian view, like what kind of life do you want to live? In 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 my case, I recognized, and I talk about this in in the preface of the book, that I I want to be a loving person. I don't want to be somebody that like looks at differences and judges them, the way that I have my entire life, where I look at somebody who drinks coffee and thinks, oh, they're an evil person, they're going to go to hell. I don't know where that came from, but you know, I I don't want to have that be part of. My own psyche. So the utilitarianism of thinking of things as a fiction and going, I want to create a fiction where everybody's equal, <laughs> or something like that. You know, that that that's kind of the direction that I'm I'm going, and that that's probably what the thesis of the book would be if there's a thesis. Yeah, I'd say so. Yeah. So 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 we're talking about kind of a mind blowing. Idea that could possibly cause all kinds of, of chaos, and we talked about Plato brief, briefly. And, if and, it does and, cause chaos, it's just going to blend into all of the other chaos <laughs> that's, that's going in. No one's going to know it. No one'll know it. It's going to be a fart in a hurricane. That's <laughs> <laughs> exactly what it'll be. But uh, so so <laughs> little, little, that's little, a little more noticeable. Okay, yeah. <laughs> 
So, so in that case, what's, what sort of person is your target audience? Who, who do you think would actually benefit from what you've written here? You know, I, I didn't write it with a target audience in mind. So I, like when I saw, when I saw that question that you posed, I thought really hard, I, who would benefit from it? Um, I don't know. There's so many different ways that somebody could benefit from it and maybe they would, maybe they wouldn't. So, so who would, maybe somebody who's interested in uh, exploring their own ignorance and uh, comfortable with uncertainty and comfortable admitting the things that they don't know, wanting to know the things that they don't know, wanting to learn more. Um, I don't know. What do you think? Who do you think the target audience is? You you read it. <laughs> I, I have no idea, Steve. I really don't. I, I I like I hope, but and one of the reasons that I, I I wrote the book and I'm putting it out as a as a free podcast. So there's already four episodes that are out. I'm going to do one a week until the whole book's out. And I I'm interested to meet people who are interested in this kind of thing. So maybe I'm interested in discovering who that target audience is just by putting it out there and seeing how people respond to it, because I really don't know. So this is a cry into the darkness. Hoping yeah. that uh, I'm, ca I'm casting a net out into the, uh, into the sea to see if anything comes in or not, or if it's just empty when I pull it up, I guess, you know, so who, who, who would be interested in these kinds of things? And as I've shared, you know, versions of the book with family and friends, I, I've, they, they haven't seemed to know how to respond to it. So I, <laughs> so I'm not really sure what kind of a response there's going to be putting this out there or, or who the target audience is or how people could benefit from it. Um, but I, I hope it, that the way that I've benefited from it is very self-reflective. You know, I mean, like the, there, there's a lot of me in this book. There, there's a lot of me working through things that have been hard in my life, times where I've been discouraged, recently times where I've been discouraged, um, uh, problems with friends and, you know, just like all, like everyday kinds of things that if I take this kind of view that everything is a fiction and I can be the author of my own fiction and why am I telling myself stories that are making me feel like a failure, you know, those, those kinds of messages in there, maybe that's something that could help people. Um, but I, I don't, I don't know. I'll be interested to find out. Well, let me ask you a question. What do you think that um, the pre-BYU folklore class you would think <laughs> of this book? Oh, I would have loved it. I, I would have been you? really, yeah, yeah, really, really interested in it. Because I, the, the, the idea of, like, I, I like the dialogue style of it anyway. Um, I, I, I always liked pushing on... Uh, questions like pushing pushing the limits of what's possible or what's believable um so yeah i, I think i i think i would have really found it interesting and, and maybe maybe infuriating at some in some <laughs> ways but i i was the kind of guy Stephen. i i loved engaging people who were like anti-mormons or mm -hmm. especially evangelical christians that had kind of like they knew talking points Mm -hmm. just because I want, and, and I, I love talking with people who had left the church because I wanted to know why would you leave this wonderful thing? Like what, what made you do it? What's, what happened? And, and so I think I would have been really interested in here in reading a book from an ex Mormon that's, that's saying, 
yeah, I, I didn't believe in God for a long time. And then I started thinking, well, maybe there is a possibility for God again. I'll, I'll open myself up to that possibility for God. So that, that shift just in and of itself, I would have found really interesting. That's pretty interesting. How, how, how long have you identified as, as an ex, ex-Mormon? Um, I don't know. I, I, I had a really long, slow burn. Um, I, I probably, I, I baptized my son when he was eight and he just turned 16. Um, okay. So eight years, but, but even when I baptized my son, I was basically inactive. My, my bishop let me do it, which was really nice of him to do. Um, but I hadn't been attending for maybe a year and a half and was living in all kinds of sin. Um, but, uh, yeah, so, so, and, and I, I haven't resigned. I'm still a member on record and I haven't been excommunicated or any kind of discipline Mm -hmm. or anything like that, you know, so I've been able to stay enough under the radar that I haven't, uh, like pushed people in the right ways to get kicked out. I, you know, I, so I, I, how long is that? 10 years, maybe nine years. Yeah, Yeah. 10 years. Yeah. Yeah, that's 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 pretty in, in, interesting. And so, it seems to me that that what you're saying is that Mormons themselves certainly aren't your target audience. Mm. And uh, but you, it seems to be aimed at a more general audience, just because you don't take the Mormon experience for granted. Yeah. And whenever you introduce the Mormon parts of of, of you it's always like, well, I need to explain this a little bit or I need to be vague enough. So I don't use the word Mormon in it at all. No, you don't. Yeah. You say like, I, I went said my church. My there was church. a guy who said this at my church or there was yeah. a story that I heard from, you know, in the religion I grew up in. Yeah. I, 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 I mean, yeah, I, I don't, I don't think I, I, I never made a conscious choice to not make Mormons a target audience. I, I really didn't think about target audience. I mean, it was, I started writing, this on my phone while I was in a bathtub because it was interesting to me. And then I got the idea that, Oh, I've, I've written enough of these. I could turn it into a book. I've always wanted to write a book. Mm-hmm. I'll do it. I'll write a book. And so it just kind of came up organically without a lot of um, planning. Well, that's pretty <laughs> like, interesting. Like most of my life, Stephen. <laughs> <laughs> what? Yeah. My whole life was planned for I me. Know, right? <laughs> By someone else. Yeah. So I'm, 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 I'm curious then, as you put this together, mm. would you consider what you came up with in Bathing with God a departure from Mormonism? Or would you consider it a deeper dive into Mormonism? Uh, yeah, I don't, I don't see it as a departure. I think there, there might be areas where you could say deeper dive. Um, maybe th- there, there's one chapter that uh, I... It was, it's a very veiled nod to Joseph Smith's King Follett discourse in the way that he talked about Elohim as the greatest intelligence that looked out a, a, around all the other intelligences and realized that he was supreme. And then like his, his uh, desire then was to bring all of the other intelligence up to where he was. It was something, I'm summarizing, but, yeah. but it was something like that in, in King Follett. was to go back to the beginning of creation. There is the starting point in order to know and be fully acquainted with the mind, 
purposes, decrees, and ordinations of the great Elohim that sits in the heavens. There are but very few beings in the world who understand rightly the character of God. If men do not comprehend the character of God, they do not comprehend their own character. What kind of being is God? I again repeat the question, what kind of being is God? Does any man or woman know? For I am going to tell you how God came to be God and what sort of being he is. God himself could not create himself. Intelligence is eternal and exists upon a self-existent principle. It is a spirit from age to age and there is no creation about it. The first principles of man are self-existent with God. All the minds and spirits that God ever sent into the world are susceptible of enlargement and improvement. The relationship we have with God places us in a situation to advance in knowledge. God himself found himself in the midst of spirits and glory. Because he was greater, he saw proper to institute laws whereby the rest, who were less in intelligence, could have a privilege to advance like himself and be exalted with him so that they might have one glory upon another in all that knowledge, power, and glory. So he took in hand to save the world of spirits. This is good doctrine. It's a very veiled nod to Joseph Smith's King Follett discourse in the way that he talked about Elohim as the greatest intelligence that looked out around all the other intelligences and realized that he was supreme. And then like his, his uh, desire then was to bring all of the other intelligence up to where he was. It was something I'm summarizing, but, yeah. but it was something like that in, in King Follett. Um, that idea is in there. There's, there's a lot of things that, um, you know, I, I'm, I, I have a Mormon formed brain and the, I, I still really like the idea of eternal progression. Like I, I love that idea because it's, it's just like, it's evolution. <laughs> like th mm -hmm. this is, this is evolution, but, but not only in a like physical way, but in like whatever, all of the spirit, whatever spirit is, if there's a spirit, if there's a soul, if there's, mm -hmm. you know, that, that sort of thing. I, I like that idea of, of evolution. Um, I like the idea, uh, you know, I, I, I heard this interview. Well, I saw a movie, a documentary several years ago. Ben Stein did a movie on intelligent design and he interviewed Richard Dawkins as part of that movie. And uh, he, he kind of pushed Richard Dawkins, you know, who, who do you think created everything? And Richard Dawkins was like, why are you saying who? <laughs> He's like, it could have happened this way. It could have happened that somewhere. Why do you use the word who? You see, you, you, you immediately beg the question by using the word who. Well, then how did it get created? It could be that at some earlier time, somewhere in the universe, a civilization evolved by probably some kind of Darwinian means to a very, very high level of technology and designed a form of life that they seeded onto perhaps this, this planet. Um, and that designer could well be a higher intelligence from elsewhere in the universe. Well, but that higher intelligence would itself have had to have come about by some explicable or ultimately explicable process. It couldn't have just jumped into existence spontaneously. That's the point. That's the point. 
I was like, why are you saying who? <laughs> He's like, it could have happened this way. It could have happened that somewhere in the universe, a civilization evolved to this great state of intelligence and almost to a point of immortality or whatever, and they seeded life on this planet. It, that, that's, that's possible. And I thought, that's kind of what Joseph Smith said. God himself could not create himself. That's, that's <laughs> kind of the, you know, like the intelligence. That's kind of the Mormon cosmology there that, mm -hmm. that, that there has always been existence and there's always continued uh, growth and progression and, and evolution. Um, you know, I, I'm not as familiar with the forms of Mormonism that believed in multiple mortal probations. But I know that that's the thing, like that there's kind of a reincarnation flavor to some break off of Mormon theology. And maybe that's something that Joseph Smith talked about. Um, it wouldn't surprise me. Um, but uh, so, so I, yeah, I mean, deeper dive Mormonism, I don't know. It, 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 it's, I, it's just me. It's just the way that I think about things and the way that I think about things is really influenced by um, my upbringing and the things that were very like sacred and important to me and uh you know still are in certain ways you know D different ways but still are so it's, it's it's feeling more more like you're saying that this book is is a conglomeration of the various influences that oh have, sure yeah and I, I mean like i've got my alan watts shirt on right now yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and and there, there's probably more alan watts influence in in this book than there is joseph smith um and and mormonism uh, there's a lot of like the, the theoretical physicist Brian Green, uh, David Tong, um, you know Jonathan Hyde I mentioned, Yuval Harari who wrote *Sapiens* talks a lot about the value of fictions. There, um, the, the, these are all influences, and then some weird ones like some eclectic things like um, Seth Speaks. Like I don't know if you're familiar the, this channeled writing book, uh, uh, an author named Jane Roberts, and and Seth is this character kind of like Quad, except that you know Seth is they're not saying this is imaginary. They're saying that this is real, but, but Seth talks about what life is after death and what, the, what it's like to experience reality, not from a human perspective, but from this eternal energetic perspective. And it's just fascinating. Like I, I'd love reading stuff like that. Cause it again, pushes against the limits of like, what is this? Is this real? Is this not real? Is this possible? Is it impossible? Like I, I just like playing in that space. So th those, those are, those are, influences that are in there and and mormonism is is a part of that but probably not the the biggest i don't know maybe this because it's me and it was, it was probably the biggest influence on me of all those things that i mentioned so would it bug you at all if if i said it sounds like you got to have a joseph smith experience because you had your little peep stone yeah, that shined love it. and you automatically wrote this thing into existence yeah. and bathing with god is kind of your book of mormon mm. Maybe, yeah, yeah. No, no, that wouldn't bother me. Um, I, I, I started. <laughs> I, I've got another book that I'm that I'm writing, and uh, people who have listened to Infants on Thrones may have heard me discuss this a couple of years ago. Uh, I even published a couple of the chapters. It's called Shadow the Lamanite. That's going to be my book of Mormon that I do. That's the Joseph Smith thing. You'll you'll find out more about this later. <laughs> but um, yeah, I, I like that idea with bathing with God. I. I I, I play with that in the introduction where I say, you know, this, this, as I'm having this discussion and I'm asking questions, you know, like I pause and I ask like, how would you, how would anybody respond to this question? And then I get some kind of an answer. 
And that's coming from somewhere deep within. Like, what does that mean to say it's coming from somewhere deep within? Mm-hmm. And is that channeled writing? Is that what people do when they're channeling? You know, like, I don't know. It's, it's my imagination. I'm playing with it. And, and uh, you know, you want to call it channeled writing, you can call it channeled writing. Um, you want to call it fiction, you can call it fiction. I don't think that those two things are mutually exclusive ideas. And um, yeah, so if, if you want to call me Joseph Smith, I just, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to, I'm not going to get into the whole thing with other people's wives. I, I'll draw the line. <laughs> There's probably a few places I'll draw the line, but um, yeah, I, I like Joseph Smith. So I don't, I don't have a problem being compared to him. He, he was, he was an interesting person. You yeah. can definitely say that. Yeah. He was a guy who lived. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, as, as, as I was re- reading your book, <clears throat> it, it actually felt to me, at first, it felt like a departure from Mormonism. That mm. as I thought about it, I realized it was because most of what we hear preached about God is God's embodiment. Mm-hmm. And also like that um, Doctrine and Covenants verse about the same sociality we enjoy here, we'll enjoy in the world to come in eternal glory. But at the same time, um, there are also, you know, strains of mysticism left over from yeah. the New Testament. Yeah. And there are also strains of mysticism in the Doctrine and Covenants. Yeah. I actually found one that sounded almost exactly like what you were talking about. <laughs> cool. It said, he comprehendeth all things, yeah. and all things are before him, mm-hmm. and all things are around him. Yeah. And he is above all things, and in all things, and is through all things, and is round about all things, and all things are by him mm-hmm. and of him. Yeah. Even God forever and ever. Yeah. And so I thought subscribed into one great whole, baby. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And and so like when when the the my openness to the idea of God does not include <laughs> that. Uh, embodied God that you're talking about with with oh. Mormonism, you know. So it's it, like that's not like when I think, oh, I'm open to the idea of God. It's not like the bearded guy in the sky thing. It's it's this idea of source energy, you know, which might be a weird idea to people who haven't really heard it or or looked into it at all. But that that idea of, of <laughs> you make a very good case for it in the book. Do people I should read it? Yeah, you make a very good case for it. And so it appears to me. As if the thing that we call God is simply everything. everything. We're all connected to each other. All the electrons that exist in your body are waves of the same underlying field. The electrons in your body are ripples of the same field as the electrons in my body. We are built out of very small stuff, and we are embedded in a very large cosmos. The fact is, we're not seeing all the waves out there. In fact, what we see is less than a 10 trillion of what's out there. The little sliver of what we're able to see of reality is just a piece of that omniscient, omnipotent, intelligent, subatomic energy that is undeniably the source of everything in existence. You are accurate when you feel that you are that which is God, both from your physical and your non-physical perspective. The combination of you and you and all of the rest of us is what God is, because God is consciousness that is expanding. The source energy that we are inescapably immersed in. So you have radio waves and microwaves and x-rays and gamma rays passing through your body right now, and you're completely unaware of it. There is the central self. You can call it God. You can call it anything you like. And it's all of us. 
It's playing all the parts of all beings whatsoever, everywhere and anywhere. And it's playing the game of hide and seek with itself. It appears to me that we are all, each and every one of us, constantly and inescapably bathing in God. You make a very good case for it in the book. Do People I? You should read it. Yeah, you make a very good case for it. Well, I, I, I spent a lot of time thinking about it and, and, mm-hmm. and thinking about, you know, if, if, if Richard Dawkins, his speculation about, uh, you know, like the evolution of some advanced race somewhere in the universe, like they wouldn't, they wouldn't look like humans, most likely. They, they, would, they would look like other things. And, you know, if, if you look in our evolutionary history and, and you go back three million years or four million, well, however long, you're not going to recognize what we were. If you go ahead in time, you, the same amount of time, you won't recognize what we're going to become if we survive. Um, you know, I, I mentioned Yuval Harari, his book, Sapiens. He's got another book called Homo Deus, where he, he speculates on, you know, that Homo sapiens is about to end and we're going to fuse with technology and become a, a, a new species altogether. Well, why couldn't that at some point in the future become living energy that, you know, like we, we have information on the cloud through the internet, all this stuff. Why couldn't there be like some kind of biologically evolved thing? If it could, if it could ever happen anywhere in the universe, maybe it already has. And, you know, people talk about, are we living in a simulation? You know, like I, I love hearing these kinds of things and having these kinds of conversations. So I thought about, well, what, what if there is like this source energy that is the highest form of evolved life that, that forms everything, you know, like, what would you do if you could live forever? You'd be so bored. What would you do? You know, would you watch TV? Bathtubs. Yeah. Would you, would you watch TV? Would you, would you go to movies? Would you play video games, virtual reality games? You know, like the, the kinds of things that we do with our entertainment today, if, if we could make it as realistic as possible, I think we would. So, so that was kind of my approach to, to this, that, that if, if there is some kind of a, a God out there that I can accept, because, and this is something I, it, it would frustrate me when, <laughs> when I have a panel discussion, whether it was Infants on Thrones or even going back to Mormon Expression days, where I'd say, okay, we can, we can, we can mock very easily the parts of God that are absurd and go, oh, I'm going to reject that. Okay, but let's flip it. What, what would you accept? Like knowing what we know scientifically, what, what would be the characteristics of a God that then you would be able to accept? And it was hard to find people to play that game with me. And um, so I, I played it myself in this book. <laughs> That's kind of what it, what, what kind of a, what characteristics of God could I accept um, knowing what we know and knowing that everything's a fiction. So I'm coming up with it anyway, it's a fiction. So. Well, that's pretty interesting. And, and I noticed that, that you talked a lot about play in the beginning of your book. Yeah. And, and I also no- noticed toward the end that, uh, that you conceive of the universe and its unfolding as literally a game, yeah. which was really interesting t- to me and reminded me of a lot of the other sort of mystical yeah. texts that I've read because whenever I, I, I'd always get like really into it. And I'm like, yeah, we're opening our minds here, man. We're blasting past all the possibilities. What's it all mean? And they'd say, it's a game. Mm. I'm like, what? So this is something that I feel like is really worth addressing, especially yeah. now. Yeah. 
I, 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 if, if, if you're willing, I want to read part of this so that our listeners can get an idea sure. of, of what it is you mean by a game, because I find it compelling okay. and, and also something that I'd like to chew on for, 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 for a minute. So yeah. this is Quad talk, talking, the bather's imagination. Quad says, picture a wet floor in a locker room or maybe water spots on a window or drops of mercury on a cold metal plate. Whatever it is, imagine hundreds, thousands, or even billions of little droplets all coming into contact with each other, merging together as they touch, forming larger droplets, fewer of them, but bigger, merging together, merging together, coming close, coming together based on their location and vibration and mood and so many other unifying or repelling factors until the last biggest droplets overcome the resistance and merge with each other until there's just one. And then it shatters into hundreds of thousands of billions of droplets and goes through that entire process again. Can you picture that? And then a little bit later in, 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 in the book, Quad says, because once upon a time, this divine intelligent en energy we're calling Shakti discovered who and what she really was. And in that very day, a funny thing happened. The intelligent energies around her all recognized who they were too. Once they surrendered the conditions that kept them from seeing it, of course, they remembered that they had always been one. They remembered. And once again, they became that grand unified cosmic sea of divine, intelligent, cooperative energy. And on that day, they marveled together at all they had experienced and accomplished along their path back to remembering. Remember when we felt like we were separate from each other? One of them asked. Remember how much, how fun it was to discover ourselves and rediscover each other and come back together like we did? Another one said. It was delicious, wasn't it? Said another. And hard and painful. But what a payoff, they all sang in unison, like the best game of hide-and-seek ever. Hey, do any of you want to do it again? All of them did. So all of them did. Again, and again, and again, in as many different ways, with as many different disguises as each of them could imagine. And that is who you are. And that is why you are here. And that is where you are going. So you have presented. You just gave the, me chills, man. Oh yeah, <laughs> you're a great Thank writer, you. man. <laughs> well, jeez. No, truly, this is this is prose worth reading. Read Thank it you. for the wit, for the for the logic, hmm. for the fun. Uh, it's it's great reading. So this is the thing. I feel pain all around me in yeah. our culture, in our society, in our nation, in our world, and. Even though intellectually, I really like this idea of the universe as a game that's playing itself out over and over and over again, in my, in my soul, in my justice-oriented soul, in my mercy-oriented soul, I think there is so much pain around me. If I take this philosophy on, if, if, if I run with it, what do I do about this pain? Because this pain around me is real pain, and I feel like it would be unethical to dismiss it when there is so much. It feels like maybe I'm just going into my experience and saying, well, 
there's pain all around, but you know, it'll all come together soon. Mm. And so what might be real world consequences of someone making the shift that you're proposing? Mm. Well, I think we'd first have to really carefully define what the shift is that I'm proposing, if I'm proposing okay. a shift at all. Um, but, um, you know, I, I guess what I would what I would ask you, so so the, the pain that you see in the world around you, if you were sitting across from somebody that was in pain right now, what would your response to them be? Um, I hope I would empathize and sit with them in that pain. Yeah, because because so that's an expression of love and, and compassion, and it, because you okay. want to be a compassionate, you want to be a loving person. To to me, that's that that's equivalent to those um, separate drops of water merging together, and and dropping any kind of resistance and saying, oh, "You're feeling pain. Let me comfort you. Um, I'm feeling pain. Would you comfort me? Can we comfort each other?" Um, so I, I I mean I I, I understand. The uh, and I, I I think I even include this in one of the chapters the the feeling of I I don't want to like bury my head in the sand I don't want to be Pollyanna I don't want to be dismissive of other people's pain but wh why why is there pain because you you recognize that people should be loved people should be treated fairly um, and when that's not happening that's causing pain so what are you going to do are you going to treat people fairly and and be part of that solution and love everyone start start loving start loving yourself like can you can you learn how to love yourself so, so much of this book <laughs> has been my own struggles of just trying to forgive myself for things um trying to love myself um for things because i was brought up in a in, in a tradition that said that you're only worthy if you do certain kinds of things and um even then there's more things to do to be totally worthy. And even then there's more things to be, to be totally worthy. So what does that do to a, a sense of self love? I mean, for, for me, it made me feel like if I don't do this right, 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 I don't deserve love. I don't deserve that. So if there's, if there's any kind of shift in consciousness that I'm proposing in this book, it, it would be along the lines of like a, a Michael Singer, The Untethered Soul, or David Hawkins, Letting Go. Those are books that I read um, just like recently, like May, June, while I'm locked in in, in quarantine. And I'm reading these books about um, how, to, um, how to love, how to become a more loving person. And, and that's, that, that's where a, a lot of that um, came from. Is, is my response to what they were writing about. Oh, I, I love this. I, I love how they're, they're saying, let go of those things that um, keep you. <laughs> there, there, there's a, there's a Jason Mraz uh, song that he says, lay down the weapons that you use against yourself. You don't need them anymore. Lay down the weapons that you use against the world. You don't need them anymore. We don't need another war. And it's, it's a song called make love, not war. And, and so it, it's the, these ideas that, um, were percolating inside of me as I was writing that book. And that's where that was coming from. I, I like your answer. Good. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I like it uh, partially because um, you seem to be talking about a very present centered 
interaction with the world. So when I was talking about all the pain that I feel going on in the world around me, it feels to me like what you're saying is, well, look where you're at at the moment and see where there's pain at the moment in your vicinity and go be a little droplet and go bloop yeah. with that person. Yeah, is that kind of what you're saying? I, well, I'm, 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 yeah, and if that pain is in yourself, be that droplet with yourself, you know? And, and it's, it's not um, dismiss the pain or judge yourself because you're feeling pain or, you know, like, like feel the pain recognize the pain for what it is and, and be honest and be true to it for as long as you have to, for as long as you need to, for as long as that pain is there. And um, I don't know. I like, I, I get really uncomfortable when I start talking like this as if I'm telling people what, what they should do. Cause I don't know. Like I, I really don't know. Uh, and and I'm, I'm trying to figure this stuff out for myself. So, so it, it, it's, I'm more comfortable when I'm talking about me. Um, uh, <laughs> totally. apl- applying these, the, these things. Cause I, I, I really don't want it to seem like I, I was talking with somebody, I forget who it was, but, but, uh, it, it was on a recent episode of infants on thrones and they're saying, what would you say to people who are out there protesting? And you say, don't protest. Oh, it was Tom who was telling me that. I'm like, no, I, no, I, I, I'm not anti-activist. I'm not anti-protest. I'm not anti trying to fix the problems in the world or anything like that. Um, that, how do you fix the problems in the world? I mean, love, man, <laughs> love. But you're talking about, to me, a very charged kind of love. Uh, I went to a Black Lives Matter protest. Well, it was a demonstration uh, in Cottonwood Heights mm. at their police station. And um, having the privilege that I do of being a tall, white, handsome male, mm-hmm. Um, I, I was able to sort of wander around and there was the group in the middle, the Black Lives Matter people, and then along the, the, uh, the perimeter were a lot of people who had guns yeah. and uh, lots of American flags and those, those flags that have the blue stripe on them and things like that. And as I wandered around, I, I was able to be invisible enough to hear mm. what people were saying. And the interesting thing was I heard fear from everybody. Yeah. Everybody. Yeah. And that was amazing to me. And if what you're saying is true, or at least playfully true, (laughs) um, I would need to find some way to go bloop with kind of everybody there if I were being a part of this universe that is currently coming together instead of blasting apart. Am I going in the right direction with that? Yeah, I mean, but isn't that why you went to that demonstration in the first place, so that you could bloop with them? Yeah, but I thought I was just going to bloop with one (laughs) particular (laughs) group of people. Yeah. And I I was disconcerted to find out that I was empathizing with a lot of people there Mm. and feeling all of their fear. Yeah. And I also understood that they were inhabiting two different discourses Yeah, and that they weren't hearing each other and they didn't know what each other were saying. I understood that, but I felt the real fear from all of them. Yeah. 
I, I'll, I'll tell you about an experience I had today where I felt some fear. <laughs> I was, okay. I was, I was driving, uh, you know, green light going through an intersection. Somebody pulls, pulls out and then they stop at the green light. So I had to like slam on the brakes and I'm like laying on my horn. And this, this guy, like, I, I don't know what was going on with him in the car in front of me, but he was not happy that I was laying on my car and laying on my horn. And he, he opened up the door. He looked at me like he was going to get out of the car. Like we're going to have some like road rage experience here. <laughs> so I, I just like put my, I'm like, Hey, look, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It's a green light. Come on, let's go. And he calmed down and, and he went, went away. So I like, what, what do you do when you're interacting with people in the, in the world and you're creating conflict and fear and you know, I, I don't know. It, it, it happens all the time. But, but my reaction in that moment was to, to, think about him as a person that like there's probably something going on where he's confused because why else would you stop at a green light? Mm -hmm. I don't know if he was on something or if he was otherwise impaired or confused, but to, to respond more from a place of sympathy than like this automatic program that runs in my mind of laying on the horn and going, you're in my way, get out of my way. You know, so I, I, I had like that split second of like, Oh wait, I need to have compassion here. And it, I don't know. I felt like it diffused it because um, I, I could have escalated it further if I wanted it to. He was he was up for it. Um, <laughs> so and you would have shown up to the podcast with a black eye. I would have. Yeah. <laughs> uh, if I would have shown up at all. And, <laughs> uh, you know, and, and in today's climate, who knows with with the way that people are so um, afraid. There's a lot of there's a lot of reasons to be afraid right now. But but when when you were reading that part, I, I was thinking about the, the utilitarianism, the utility of this fiction of thinking that we are all one, that are living these individual unique experiences right now, but underneath it, idea of Zion, right? <laughs> we are all one yeah. and we're all sealed to each other, not because we had to have a, a ceremony or a priesthood that did it, but because we just already all are. Um, or we're trying to seal, perhaps. Yeah, but the, well, but the way that I see it is that we're all a part of this, you know, like the, the that electron field energy, you know, we're, okay. we're already all. all okay, that. yeah, I see where you're going. Tonight, I'd like to tell you about one of the big questions in science. What are we made of? What are the fundamental building blocks of nature that you and me and everything else in the universe are constructed from? So we have three particles of which everything we know is made. And it's, it's worth stressing, it, that's kind of astonishing. You know, it's, uh, we sort of take it for granted. We learn this in school, we don't really think about it deeply. Everything we see in the world, all the diversity in the natural world, you, me, ev everything around us, just the same three particles with slightly different rearrangements repeated over and over and over again. It's a very nice picture. It's a very comforting picture. It's the picture we teach kids at school. It's the uh, picture we even teach our students in undergraduate university. And there's a problem with it. It's a lie. 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 So there is spread everywhere throughout this room something that we call the electron field. Okay? It's like a fluid that fills this room and in fact fills the entire universe. And the ripples of this electron fluid, the ripples of uh, the waves of this fluid, get tied into little bundles of energy by the rules of quantum mechanics. And those bundles of energy are what we call the particle, the electron. 
all the electrons that are in your body are not fundamental. All the electrons that exist in your body are waves of the same underlying field. We're all connected to each other. It's like, you know, the waves uh, on the ocean all belong to the, the same underlying ocean. Uh, the electrons in your body are the s ripples of the same field as the electrons in the same field as the, the same field as the electrons in. Yeah, but the, well, but the way that I see it is that we're all a part of this. You know, like the, the that electron field energy. You know, we're we're already all all that. Okay. And um, okay, yeah, I see where you're going. What what does that fiction do for me it makes it so that when i look at you i i really start to think oh you're another version of me you you, you really are like the differences between us are fewer than the similarities and i can feel compassion for you i can feel love for you i i i don't remember where i heard this it was in one of those books probably that i read maybe a david hawkins or a michael singer but but they said something like every single person that's born into this world is born innocent and then they're misled. They're misled by well-meaning people who are just trying, you know, for the most part, there's really terrible people out there too, but for the most part, they're misled by good, well-meaning people who just don't have the right information and they think they're doing the best and they don't and you get these habits and you develop these patterns and then you become one of these misled people that starts misleading your kids when, when they come along innocent. But so we're all, we're, we're all these innocent misled people at our core and you you see that in in today's political culture and everything that's that's going on the conflict as i think it's such a unique time like unprecedented time in the history of our species that like you and i are able to sit here and have this conversation um and it goes out on the internet and people listen to it and you know we're bombarded by stories that and, and emotions that go along with those stories that were, we didn't biologically evolve to handle this level of stress, you know, yeah. and, and people are feeling it. So, you know, I, I, I would, I would hope that a book like bathing with God would be something to go, all right, let's take a breath. Let's take a little bath. Let's take a little warm, relax. Um, maybe re reevaluate who we are, what our position is in the world, how we want to interact with, with people around us um, and, and have something that helps let some of the air out of the overinflated tires that is just about to pop and is popping all over the, the place. So would it bug you if I, <laughs> if, if I said, um, so, so Jesus is actually a great example of this. Jesus is atonement like at one minute. So was he the guy who was sitting in in the middle and went and blooped everybody together? That's why we're all at one through Christ. Is Jesus basically saying what you're saying and bathing with God, becoming at one? I don't know because because what what you said there it sounds like the atonement is the thing that did it, and no oh no he was he 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 started the blip. I don't know. Maybe. It I mean, it's just I, the same kind of metaphor that you were going for. At well, one minute, we yeah. become at one, we remember. Yeah. And I, and I, I think, you know, the, the, the teachings of Jesus, the teachings of Buddha, you know, the Lao Tzu, you know, <laughs> all, mm -hmm. all of these, these world religions, they're talking about love. They're talking about togetherness. They're talking about raising your consciousness, um, being kindness, the golden rule. There's, there's all these different versions of basically the same thing. So, I, I don't think it would bother me if you 
gave if you said <laughs> said Jesus. I mean, G- Jesus, Jesus is awesome, man. <laughs> I, I, I want to sing Doobie Brothers right now. Jesus is just all right with me. Yeah, I've become such a hippie. I love it. <laughs> this is great. So you say in the end of your introduction that it's likely your thoughts are going to evolve further. The book's only been out for a week. Yeah. But is there one place where your thoughts have actually evolved further than what we would read? You, you mean since it's come out, have, have my thoughts evolved? Or since uh, I finished writing it? Yeah, since you finished writing it. Mm. I don't know. I, I, my, my thoughts evolve as a result of me um, watching TED Talks and like reading books and, and things like that. I, I'm listening to a book right now called Why We Sleep, which is talking about like the science of sleep. And, and, you know, like this guy asked the question, did, uh, what was the default nature of life sleep? And then creatures woke up from it because every living thing has some form of sleep. It's fascinating. So, I mean, I'll have thoughts that evolve as, as those kinds of things come in and then I go, okay, now how does that compare with this other thing that I thought? And then, yeah. So I'll always be playing that game and having, having thoughts evolve and, and pushing on the limits of what I know and don't know and what could possibly be and just, just playing with it. So I, I, I hope they continue. I don't know that I have a really good, uh, here's how it evolved answer for you right now. But um, yeah. Well, that's okay because uh, I'm, I'm still wrestling with, with what you already put out there. So yeah, yeah. I'd be rushing to keep up. Yeah, so much. <laughs> now, well, I would sincerely encourage the people who are watching or listening to this to pick up this book. Thank you. It is so much fun. It's, it's a great romp. Yeah. And it has, it also has uh, like tear jerky parts. It's, oh. it's got everything. Well, and, and, and I would encourage people as well to, to go find the, the podcast, you know, because, the, the, mm-hmm. you know, if, if, if they want to buy the book on Amazon, I'd love that. That would be awesome. If they just want to listen to it for free, that's cool too. Um, I'll, I'll be, uh, it's called Bathing with God. It's on iTunes and Spotify right now. I'll probably be putting it on other platforms as well. And um, yeah, really, I think through the end of October, I'll I'll be releasing one episode a week. And then depending on what happens, if it, if it grows an audience, like I, I love the idea of audience interaction. And so if people, you know, had questions that they wanted to pose to quad or something like that and turn into like a dear Abby, (laughs) you know, that that could be fun. I would enjoy doing something like that. And, And there would be definitely more evolution of thought there, which I, I, I do want to say, um, listeners to Infants on Thrones, when they email me, and a lot of them do, they have been so influential on my evolution of thought because they've introduced to me to things like um, The Righteous Mind by Jonathan Haidt or um, The Untethered Soul by, by Michael Singer. You know, it's, it's people who uh, reach out and interact so that I'm not just sitting behind this computer being a hermit all the time. Um, although that's kind of what I am most of the time. Um, but so hopefully that, that'll happen with, with bathing with God as I'm casting out that net, seeing if there's people who are interested in the same kinds of things and want to engage and that that'll spark the creation of more stuff. I hope that it does. Cause I thoroughly enjoyed reading Thank you. this, yeah. this one. And I would actually encourage people to buy this book because mm. artists should be supported. That's true. 
That's how we get more artists who have time to sit in bathtubs and talk with their imagination (laughs) and come up with cool books. Thanks so much for joining me. This has been a lot of fun. And uh, hopefully we'll have you on again in a couple of years when the shadow of the Lamanite. Shadow of the Lamanite, yeah. Comes out. That'll be a lot of fun. Thank you again for listening to Infants on Thrones. I hope you enjoyed this episode. And once again, please go to Amazon.com or you can go to bathingwithgod.com and uh, purchase the book for me, for you, actually. Purchase it for your friends. And there's also this podcast. You heard the introduction to the podcast inserted a few times, you know, the different introductions. You'll hear those again. If you go to bathingwithgod.com, you can listen to the podcast there. You can listen to it on iTunes, Spotify. It'll be all over the place soon enough. Share it with a friend. Give me the ratings on iTunes or writing uh, on Amazon. You know the whole thing. Help me out here. Help me out. I'm asking you, please. So, thanks again for listening to Infant Sound Thrones. Put down the weapons that you use against yourself. You don't need them anymore. Lay down the weapons that you use against the world. We don't need another war. Put down the weapons that you use against yourself. Hi, this is Hillary. Matthew Ryan. Carol Ashley. And I like to play bingo online while listening to Infants on Thrones. You can comment on this episode on the website, infantsonthrones.com. If you really like what you hear, give the quorum a five-star rating and write a short review on iTunes. I did. I did. I did. Anyone for the closing prayer? My worst crime is an inside job. Dark thoughts taking over like an inside mob. I tune him to the scene between the eyes and take a breath. Thank you for listening to Infants on Front. I sit still and watch the thoughts flow past me. Never mind the future, never mind what the past be. I like to jump and let the universe catch me. Three, four, watch the beauty blow past me. I keep my pockets like destination in sight. Keep my actions elevated to compassionate heights. I'm walking past the fight, laying down on such a night. Choosing love when I pick up this mic.